Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Chris Evans here. Welcome once again to the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio. Coming up on this one, iconic pop group Bananarama swinging by the studio with their brand new album Masquerade. 40 years in the business and still going strong. It's a thing of beauty. Dynamic duo Dorno Porter and Natalie Pinkham discuss the fabulous Flackstock Festival in memory of their best pal Caroline Flack. British acting sensation James Purefoil reels us in with his new film Fisherman's Friends One and All. And the Mas- of words. Malcolm Gladwell talking about the Bomber Mafia, his brand new book. All of that and so much more still to come. So, Ginger Jack, kick things off. Please tell us who's first. Yesterday, I made a perfect egg and was very proud of myself. So imagine how these two feel every day as they are the most successful female band worldwide with the most charting singles ever. Well, their brand new album, Masquerade, is out tomorrow. Get up, dance around, do what you wanna. I'm nearly lost for words because it's Banana Rama! Yes! Come what on! What an intro! Karen, sorry, here. What How are you intro. doing, guys? Good, yeah, thanks. Yes. Oh, my goodness me. Uh, first album, when was that then? The first album? Because this is the latest. So 1982, 40 years ago. 1982. Tell us about that and then tell us about this one. Tell us about the process <laughs> and the build-up, how they both came about because it's they are the bookends of your career thus far they are indeed yes our first album I think was with Steve Jolly and Tony Swain producers Uh, we used to make demos in our council flat by slapping our legs to you know making a beat and then (laughs) writing some some, some (laughs) who did you love at the time I'm guessing Blondie, I'm guessing. Yes, this Blondie. Some, right. Yeah. Anybody else? Ooh, Who were you God, listening that's to? That's difficult. Who were you it? dancing to at the clubs when you went out whilst um, always aspiring? The, the Gap Band. Or yeah. kind of nice. Like that. We always yeah. loved a bit of funk. Right, yeah. okay. And so, um, so, you, so you were doing demos and then what happened to those demos and then how did the first album come about? We were in a club and we heard uh, Body Talk by Imagination and we thought <gasps> that is a fantastic track. Who's produced that? By the way, this sounds a bit like Body Talk we're hearing now, doesn't it? Body well, Talk. Body Talk. Never even thought of that but we did it's it done by the no, same producers <laughs> how dare you no we had a demo essentially we had a demo right. which uh, was suggested and organised by the delightful Paul Cook from the Sex Pistols um, whose birthday was yesterday and um and so was it Notting Hill it all happened? Was it around there? Am I, am no, I... we were in Denmark Street, Karen and I, above the old Sex Pistols rehearsal room. But oh, the, um, yes, yeah. living in a hovel. The <laughs> Sex hovel. Pistols rehearsal room, which was behind one of the shops, which was... Um, it was behind the Greek bookshop at w- the time. Was va- va- vacated by... Was it Badfinger? I think Badfinger Bad used Finger. it as a rehearsal room. Maybe, and, yeah. And then, yes. so, and then the terrible fate befell one of their band members. Oh. And they, oh, wow. Then, then I think that's how Mar- Michael McLaren got it for not much money. Oh, that, okay. I well, see. I don't see why it would be uh, expensive. It was an absolute hovel. No, I know. I, I think you can <laughs> no see water. it in Danny Boyle's. Have you seen Pistol? Oh, no, I no. haven't seen that yet. That's, yes, it's all re- oh, it's so good. We have been back recently um, when we did the book. We went back and they've listed it now, I think, and they've actually perspexed 
the walls with all the drawings on yeah. and our names are on the walls from when we lived there along with sort of John, Johnny Rotten's drawings. And so the first album, was it like an instant, did it just catch light straight away? Well, it did, yeah. 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 I, mean, I mean, because of the Fun Boy 3 Picking, Terry Hall picking up on our demo and we obviously had a hit with them and it just kind of went was on to Was it Cruel off. Summer on the first album, Chris? Yeah, it would know? have been, wouldn't it? Cruel Summer. <laughs> yes, and that, that was our first top ten in America, which we were absolutely that's shocked the thing, by. Is it, that's the game yeah. changer, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, Don't get me absolutely. wrong, nothing wrong with being number one in the UK. No. In fact, everything right about that. But if you if you can somehow, not so much break America, because yeah. you, you, you didn't break America, they just took you on straight away, didn't yeah. they? It yeah, like, I mean, we were fortunate that the song was um, put in a film called The Karate Kid, which was massive out there. So that really shot us to fame. And I think people were kind of amazed by us because we were a girl band and we kind of looked so, you know, London, all our mad hair and clothes. It It was unusual for out there. Well, you know, awesome signature sound and signature look as ever. I heard the album yesterday, mm-hmm. you know, and here we go again. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it is so cool. Um, no, t- tell us how long it, you know, tell us about the whole thing. How did, what happened with it? We wrote it in um, lockdown, second lockdown. First right. lockdown was the book. Second lockdown, we wrote an album. It was originally going to be an EP, but mm-hmm. um, lockdown went on and on. So we just kept writing. And um, I, I wrote a couple of tracks with my daughter, who's a singer-songwriter. Um, and we covered one of her tracks, Favourite. We covered two of her oh, tracks, of her actually, tracks. on the album. And um, Favourite's the new single, isn't it? No, yeah. Favourite... <laughs> it was the taster. David was Masquerade the taster. Masquerade is the single. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hand, this is what I just said now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I said I said Masquerade was the new single. Said, yeah. No, no, favourite's the new single. I'm sure, I'm sure Masquerade is the new single. Yes. We've been, to- we've been told to play favourite. Well, you can play oh, favourite. We can play the absolutely we, fine. We, no, no, we'll play whatever the, the, the actual bananas of the Rama want us to play. I don't really mind. Play them both. Play. I don't want to play anything yet, by the way. No. Um, so, so how many albums are we down now? Twelve. Twelve. This is our yeah. twelfth Twelve. studio album. What's what was the, what's thus far has been the biggest banana rama moment? We've had many moments. I think realising we were yeah. famous was when we were coming down back from a diner in LA and we saw uh, I was going to say Frank Tyson, Mike Tyson, <laughs> um, sitting on the front of his limousine and he was singing "Cruel Summer" to us and we thought, how could he possibly know <laughs> no, that? No, that's, that's hilarious. Yeah. That is hilarious. But they're, yeah. they're those wake and. We were in New York in the Russian teams and Michael Caine walked over and said, hi, I'm Michael Caine, like we didn't know. My daughter's a fan. Would you mind signing something for her? And when you realise that famous oh, people know who you stuff. are, that's kind of a real tipping so, point, so I think. Were you walking along the sidewalk when you saw yes. Mike Tyson? Yes, we were staying at the Sunset Marquee. So he was outside with Naomi Campbell at the time and just sitting on his the bonnet of his limousine outside Sunset Market yeah because so, he was about to, he was about to go and then he saw the three of us walking down the street and started singing we were in shorts and like t- typical Brits had plastic bags with our swimming costumes right <laughs> were you staying at the Sunset Market yes, yeah. yes just tell everybody how unbelievably cool it is to get to stay at the Sunset Marquee when you're in the business when you're a bright young thing yeah. yes. and you get there and you think this is great and then you begin to find out about that hotel it was a, it was like our second home yeah, really. for a while yeah, in the 80s it was so great we, we saw were... everyone Richard Harris all these huge Hollywood actors there and the, and it was, just the, so was the whiskey bar going on yes it was, I mean it was kind of as it is now we stayed again reasonably recently yeah. and it had a lick of paint and stuff, but essentially it's the same building. Yeah, it's quite it's exciting. We've got so you. many photos. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Thank Karen. You. Thank Thanks. you so much. Thank you. You're Thank wonderful. You. I love you both. Thank you so much. Thank you. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Grab a friend or make a new one. The smallest of small talk or have the biggest of boogies. These two are here to help you celebrate life. 
Have you been to Carfest North and want to continue the party? Well, come to Flackstock this Monday. Now, Caroline Flack was a TV legend, and these two will always support her. Here with their new festival, it's Natalie Pinkham and Donald Porter. That's, that's the cherry. That's the daddy. That's the kitty right there. Morning, Dawn. Morning, Pinkers. Good morning. How you doing? Fantastic. Better right. for seeing Dawn can in that just, dress. Can we just wow. talk about the dress? Um, Natalie, can you frame the dress for the listeners, please? Well, it's if you a Glasto special. It's a proper 70s hippie vibe. It's, it's so green, cool. orange, and white, and it couldn't look better than on Miss Hope Lovely wizard sleeve. And you, wizard day. sleeve. And wizard you. sleeve. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I didn't. You did. Yeah, didn't what? <laughs> <laughs> um, right, where did we go? Uh, sorry, where are we? What's going on? I ruined it, didn't I? No, no, no. So um, you it's, you actually bought it at Glastonbury. I did. It's um, can I can I plug her business? Yeah, go her for Her name. It. Uh, the business is called Tallulah Vintage, and she makes these fantastic seventies dresses out of old vintage fabrics, and I love them. I just think it's it's again, it's joyous, isn't it? It's joyous. It's, it's joyous. carefree. It, it's it it fears nothing. That dress. It doesn't. You can eat so many pies, and no one would know. And. When you buy a dress like that at Glass Day, is it like when you buy a T-shirt, the, the I Love New York T-shirt in New York, and you, you, you put it on immediately and you just don't take it off? Forever will be the Glass Day dress. Wow. I've literally worn it four times a week. So cool. So, I want one. Thanks. I want one. <laughs> uh, it's gorgeous, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Holly Willoughby, you know when she posts before this morning every time she does this morning she gets like a million hits have you posted have you this, po- this has yes it very much had its own grid post how did it go down on the institute excellently did it really yeah are they expensive those kind of dresses um, no this is about 80 pounds oh it's awesome yeah. when when you saw it with it was them with it sorry but it's it is the best dress that's I ever been in the studio this. so when when you saw it at glasgow was it on a mannequin was it was it on a, a coat hanger how i'm going to tell you the truth Come i on. saw it on instagram and she said she was taking it to glastonbury right. and i held it I said, hold that. It will be mine. I'm coming. Was there just the one of that? that no, particular... I got I got two. There's a, an orange one and a green one. They're all one-offs. The best ever. Oh, God, 80 that quid felt as good. Well. 80 quid. Wow. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we're in the festival groove already talking about Glasgow, and now you've got your own thing going on. Um, Pinkers, you, you begin, please. <clears throat> well... About a year ago, I think actually I mentioned it to you guys some time ago, you we did? wanted to do something to celebrate Caroline Flack's life. We felt as if we hadn't really had the chance to give her a proper send-off because of COVID. Yeah. And actually, it's pretty difficult to grieve uh, alone. You kind of need to be together with your friends. We, yeah. we, we weren't able to do that, as was the case for so many yeah. people through COVID. And so... Um, We thought a great way of doing just that would be to do the thing that Caroline loved most, which was to dance, to sing and to laugh. So we're bringing together dance, comedy and music at Flackstock on Monday. Right. So did you two know each other anyhow? um, Three Flacky. Right. Three Flacky. But hardly. Mostly since. Yeah. It's actually, there's a huge, I mean, Caroline was friends with everybody and since she died, it's brought so many people together. People that you're like, oh my God, you were friends with her as well. And really good friends with her. So that's kind of what happened with us. And it was Nat that came to me about the festival with this <clears throat> idea, like, you know, how would you feel about doing it? And if I'm honest with you, my initial feeling was that my heart sunk. I was like, how could we possibly ever pull that off? That's no joke. Um we still don't know whether we, we can. We still don't you know will. whether we have, you but will. I think we have. But the the thing is, it's um, Caroline had a lot of amazing friends in her life who were mm. all quite connected and all got a lot of passion and work in the enter- entertainment industry. You put all of those people together in a room and they're like, right, I can ask this person, I can ask that person. And suddenly there's just this ripple of texts going out to people that we know and a smaller amount, but a steady amount of yes texts coming back to us. 
Well, she was a fire starter and a firecracker, wasn't she? I mean, mm-hmm. that's the thing. And you, they say you can judge a person by their friends, you know, but you can also judge a person's energy by the energy of their friends, you know, and she was nonstop. She was dynamite. She was dynamite. I always say she's my funniest friend. That's the gap that's been left in my life. Like, finding... Tell us about that, because you, well, you're renowned as the funny one. <laughs> Caroline was hands down the funniest person I've ever tell met us, in my Tell life. us how come, how, well, in what ways? I don't know. You know, it's just a very special thing that we had. Well, no, actually, since she died, I realised she had this with lots of people, but I would literally look at her and just not be able to stop laughing they were just the simplest smallest things that would happen like we walked into Soho house together once god that was a really really uh didn't need to drop the location of that but um walked into the same place both somehow wearing the same outfit <laughs> and usually when I walk into a room and there's someone wearing the same outfit as me that crushes my soul <laughs> right. Caroline let's it. face it wouldn't happen today it wouldn't happen today <laughs> no, and it, um, it not it in my room my soul as well um, but we were it took us half an hour to get up the stairs we were laughing so much and it was just those tiny moments yeah. that I miss like there are just very few people who just get that catch a look in their eye and then you can't because she liked to laugh didn't yeah, she loved you know to laugh. she saw the humor in everything yeah i mean things that might pass you by normally she would see the how f- did you meet her i i again this is what set us off we both got the same gig and so we decided and they thought oh here we go it's a really long story but we both basically got appointed to present the same poker show about 15 years ago right. and we decided like they thought, well, the two girls going for the same role, it'll get catty. It just never, ever did with Caroline. And she's a proper girl's girl. So we decided that we were going to curl our hair the same, do our makeup the same, wear the same clothes, <laughs> and just trick everyone that we were, in fact, the same person, that you never saw us. In the... So she did all the links outside the casino. I did all the links inside the casino. We were one and the same. It's funny, isn't it? Because that's a decision you can make and not make. And it's so better if you make it just to, to have each other's back. That's Anton Deck for you, isn't it? That's all the best so, collaborations. Yeah. Yeah. Well done, you two. You're you. awesome. Thank Enjoy you. your festival. I look forward to the next 20 years of Flagstar. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to happen. I'll tell you, it's going to happen. Thanks so much. Uh, well done. Please go and get tickets for Flagstock. Uh, Flagstock.com. It's a one-off festival. It's on Monday, but I think it's going to become more than just a thing for 2022. Flagstock in memory of Caroline Flack for everything that's good in life. Wonderful people in and around the venue collective sharing of uh, emotions that only in the end stimulate future growth and that's what it's all about the best of the chris evans breakfast show with sky virgin radio the booming voice of an angel and the acting talent of a saint whoo with this much talent captain we're gonna need a bigger boat fisherman's friends one and all is out next month now no one has a bad word to say Ugh, he's a pure joy ladies and gentlemen it's james beautiful good morning james here we go come on now i'm so i'm so up for this you know the words don't you Uh, you pretty much we we did sing this this song in the first film give us it come on follow your hopers and jokers and roads James Purefoy in the house. Uh, James, so this is Fisherman's Friends 2, in a way, isn't it? In as much as it is uh, also um, James Purefoy's uh, Fisherman's Friends 1 and all. Um, Tell everybody about the first movie. Tell everyone about the real origin story, which is what the film's about, of course, of these amazing people, if you don't mind. Okay, so a bunch of uh, guys who, some of them are fishermen, some of them aren't fishermen. They live in Port Isaac in Cornwall. They were, and they used to sing sea shanties. 
on a place called the Platte, which is like down on the, in their harbour in Port Isaac. Port Isaac's a tiny little village. It's like one road in, yeah, one road out. And you may out. know it from that very famous TV show. Yeah, that yeah from, 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 um, Dot from Dot Martin. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, what happened was a record company executive pitched up there on holiday once and he saw them. And he liked their cut of their jib. Oh, that's a good little part. <laughs> Very good. Um, uh, uh, cut, cut, cut of their jib. And then he got them to record an album. And then that album went in to the album charts at, I think, number six or seven, uh, the, first time they, they, for the first time they released that album. So they became, you know, really well known. And they won the, the uh, folk, uh, folk Band of the Year that year, Radio 2 Folk Band of the, of the Year that year. Um, and, uh, and then they just went really big. And this is the story of them. Yeah. So and uh, so that's so that's the first film. And then the second film continues their real life story um, with the consequences of fame. Indeed. And it's so and it's so it's still their biography, isn't it? It is. Uh, you know, we don't actually play any of the individual uh, guys from the band. You know, they are kind of composite characters. But yes, they then had to deal with fame, which was perhaps not easy because if it was suddenly thrust upon them. And then, of course, they went to Glastonbury... <laughs> And they supported Beyonce on the pyramid stage. <laughs> and this is the story. <laughs> and so it's not a spoiler because it happened and it was out there. Yeah. And, and But, the, you know, this is what this film is about. And it's fa- Rachel's buying her lip. It's such a joyous film. I mean, there's only one fly in the ointment, isn't there, really, James, in the whole movie? Well, uh, we, we, we go, we're getting on to that, aren't we, Chris? <laughs> we don't have to. Well, we do have to. This film contains, as far as I'm aware, Chris Evans's on-screen acting debut. I mean, I've made the final cut. Oh, go on, get out of here. Of course you've made the final cut. You are lovely in the film. Well, I don't know. Um, but, James, thank you for saying that. It's very nice. Uh, to, to be involved in m- making an actual movie. I mean, I've been around films before. I've sort of been in movies a bit before, but I've never actually had a part. I mean, fair enough, I am playing myself. Yeah, but, but still, it's not, it's not what you do, is it? <laughs> I don't what know, you, I don't no, know. What you do is off the top of your head stuff. Right. You, you are just flying by the seat of your pants here every single day of your life. Yes. Whereas on a film, you have to be consistent. You have to deliver the same lines right. for a start. OK, before we get onto that, and we will get onto that, cause, and I don't mind, I think it's funny, and I, I'm just, I thank you, and the, A, the producers for inviting me to do it, mm-hmm. and John, uh, our mutual friend, um, but also thank you... T- you were so kind when we were filming, oh, you and the guys. You. No, but you really were. You were so accommodating. You were so friendly. Um, had no idea what you thought beforehand, what your expectations were, high or lower, anywhere in between. But And afterwards, subsequently, you've been nothing but... I mean, you, I consider you a friend now. Mate. Oh, well, that's very, very nice. I mean, you were so full of humility that day. I, you know, and I suppose I was slightly surprised by that. But <laughs> I, but only in the... No, There's but, a first for everything. No, but, but, for both of us that day. But only in the sense that I could see that you were you were slightly apprehensive yeah. about having, having to, as I say, deliver the same thing over and over again. Right. And would you be able to do that? And God, you did. You, you with flying anyway, colours. Anyway, anyway, no, so, so, not anyway, no, anyway. No, no. You but, were lovely in the film, no, thanks, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, he thanks, is thanks, lovely. Thanks, thanks, in the I film. really appreciate it. So another debutante uh, with a, a slightly larger part would be Imelda May. Then. Oh God. Imelda May. Right, so t- tell us tell us about your character, your composite character and her character. OK, so Jim Trevelyan in in Fisherman's Friends 2, he is finding uh, fame difficult to deal with. And, uh, but he, and he's getting angry with the band and he's getting pissed off with members of his family. And he, what we realise, actually, in the film is that he has not dealt with the death of his father, who died in the first film. 
So um, David Heyman played his dad in the first film. They were very, very close. And he dies in the first film. But he's not really expressed or talked about Closure, his grief. I think, is yes, the thing, is the it? thing that he's not, yeah. he's not dealt with. And he's been bottling it all up and it's been all squeaking out sideways which I think can often happen when people go through levels of grief or trauma. Especially with blokes. Especially with blokes. You know, there is a social construct with men that they have to behave supposedly in a particular way when they're dealing with emotional crises. And oftentimes blokes will just bottle it down and that will then express and manifest itself in in ways that perhaps aren't particularly positive. And so, but then... He finds the love of a good woman, which is where Imelda May comes into Right it. now, um, she doesn't exactly um, steal uh, the odd scene, does she? Um, but no, she steals every scene. She, she's unbelievable, <laughs> isn't she? And she's never done this before. No, she's never no, done it before. So how did Imelda May get involved in this movie? To any actors out there who feel like they've been training for years yeah. and gone to drama school and done it and you know really had to grind their way through, uh, it's an infuriating thing. <laughs> To watch somebody who's never acted before in their lives she's come so, on. She's so good, isn't she? And just do it as if it's the most natural and simple thing in the world yeah. to do. Yeah. And she is so glorious. And so, she, I mean, Imelda, anybody who knows Imelda, has met Imelda, seen Imelda on stage, will know that that is, if you look up the word authenticity in, in the dictionary, it'll just say, see Imelda May, because. Modest, she, humble. Uh, modest, humble, of fact. kind thoughtful yeah. collaborationist yeah, yeah. um you know all the positive words that come out about her james thanks man thank you it's so great much to see you. oh you're always welcome james oh, purefoy a superstar with the melda may fisherman's friends one and all in cinemas from the 19th of august the best of the chris evans breakfast show with sky virgin radio we see the photos and have heard the stories, but this next guest knows how to have a deeper look into the past. His hit podcast, Revisionist History, is in its seventh season, and his book, The Bomber Mafia, A Tale of Innovation and Obsession, is out now. Who were the real heroes? It's hard to tell, but this journalist will know it's Malcolm Gladwell! Good morning, Malcolm. Good morning. That was fantastic. <laughs> Did you enjoy Can I, uh, can I take you with me? Can I just have you introduce me everywhere I go? Yeah, <laughs> please do. <laughs> Bye, Chris. Bye, Jack. Um, I can welcome again. Nice to see you again. Yes, pleasure um, to be back. First things first. Um, so you're not running at the moment. What's up? I hurt my knee. Yeah. I did something to the cartilage, and now I'm... I might need to go under the knife. Oh, I'm no. concerned. Yes. Is that overrunning, or was that to do with no, running? No, some, something... It was some kind of traumatic thing that... Um, uh, I think I bumped it or something and I nicked the cartilage. So. How annoying is it for somebody who loves running as much as you not to be able to run? It's, it's terrible. I'm in, I'm in a serious state of withdrawal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is your fastest marathon time? I've never run a marathon. I, don't, I regard people who run marathons as crazy. You know because this. Because it's too long. It's too long. It's brutal. Who would do that to themselves? See, I keep going around everybody. Because when people heard you on the show today, I said, yeah, you know, he's, and he's a 2.30 marathon runner. But I've just made that up, haven't I? <laughs> uh, what is the furthest you've run? And how quickly? I... I mean, I typically will not do more than a... Well, in, in training, I'll run 12 miles. Right. I'll race no further than a 10K. Right. And you do race, race. Oh, I you... do race, <coughs> race. I did a, I did a, a mile uh, mm. just over five minutes um, last, last spring, last summer. 
very impressive young man all uh, right the bomber mafia malcolm gladwell it's out now you 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 smiled you giggled in fact when you said i've never had reviews like it well you've had some pretty fine reviews in the past so what's so different about this do you think people seem to like it i mean i think it's because um i discovered and i thought all the good stories from the second world war had already been told not true there was one left i think <laughs> I, I i happened by purest accident to run across it and it's this it's just this extraordinary story about this little band of zealots in the middle of Alabama in the 1930s who thought they could reinvent war and they're off by themselves in the in the kind of woods and dreaming about airplanes they think that the they think that the bomber which is a new thing in the 1930s can make every other aspect of warfare obsolete. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's not it's you know it's it's quite a slight book, but there's so much in it because you you've alluded there to the 30s, but you talk about air power generally, you know, especially in the Great War, the First World War, mm-hmm. you know, and and they gave it a go, um, but the person most likely to get killed for a while would be the pilot of the plane, as opposed yes. to anybody else. Yes, exactly. It was incredibly. We forget that a uh, you know air power was an afterthought. Even in, at the outbreak of the Second World War, people it took a long time for people in positions of military leadership to understand how central air power could be in, in a world war. And it was this, on the American side, it was this little group called the Bomber Mafia who pressed the case for a greatly expanded role. And they were wrong, but they were wrong in the most kind of interesting and heartbreaking way. And that's what the book is about, is the, their kind of failed... Their failed dream, and their dream was, you know, it was it wasn't bloodlust. It was the opposite, wasn't it? It was to be it more strategic. They, a lot of them, you know, uh, were motivated by very kind of strongly idealistic and Christian ideas about about how the the they looked at what happened in the First World War with all of this extraordinary carnage, and they said there has to be a better way to fight a war. And they thought that if all you did in war was to drop bombs from high altitude. Um, with extraordinary precision, you could basically spare the world civilian casualties. So they had this dream. They said, they, in fact, there was a fantastic exercise, mental exercise they did, which is, they said, could Canada bring the United States to its knees with just by bombing the New York City and only taking out the aqueducts, the power plants, and the bridges? They, they said, well, all we'll need is 10 bombers, will drop something like 50 bombs. No one, almost no one will be killed, but the city will be brought to its knees. No water, no way to get off the island, no power, right? That was their dream. Let's forget about this indiscriminate killing and just target these very specific, what they call choke points. Yeah, and they used like um, the Great War, 37 million casualties. You, you know, you, you allude to it in the book, uh, 1 million just at the Battle of the Somme, which was a sort of po- absolutely mind, point, pointless mind affair. Boggling. Yeah, it didn't mean anything strategically in the end, did it? Yeah. And because they they are late to the party as far as the military is concerned compared to the army and the navy, they've always been frowned upon by the other... Well, they... I can't speak. I, I don't work for either of them. But it seems that they are were often frowned upon by the other services uh, as the new kid on the block. Yes. So one of the things, one of the funny things about the Bomber Mafia is they're, they're originally, they're all, these, they're all young and they're all pilots and they're all sort of mavericks. And they're in Virginia at an Air Force base right near military headquarters, right, where the, you know, the Pentagon is. And they realize everyone hates them and thinks what they're doing is frivolous and stupid. And they realize the only way we're going to be able to do what we want is if you go as far away as possible from Washington, D.C. So that's why they end up in Alabama. They realize even today, 
Southern Alabama is as far as you can get from Washington, D.C. I've been there. So they picked this obscure little airfield in Montgomery, Alabama, in the middle of the South, where, by the way, the weather that we have in London today is normal in southern Alabama in the summertime. It's this, a bit nippy, actually. It, it, yes. <laughs> if someone from Alabama who came to London today would be wearing a sweater, they would consider, <laughs> they would be concerned about catching a cold when they went outside. I went there, and I went there when I was reporting a book to Maxwell Air Force Base, and it was about, a, it was 103, but it's not, it, it was humid, so humid that when you stepped outside, you were almost immediately drenched in sweat. I mean, it's just... So they went, that's why they went there. They went there because they realized no one would willingly go there. No one would sort of volunteer to go and bother them. And they they would say as they were dreaming, as they were figuring out all of these kind of crazy schemes, the Second World War, they said, if anyone in Washington knew what we were doing, they would fire us. Yeah, they closed it down. Yes, closed it down. Well, welcome. We're out of time. We're right up uh, to the ads here. Thanks for coming in again. It's great to see you. It's always right. great to see you. Always. Find what, me back. What are we going to talk to you about next well, in 10 seconds? I, I, I have a book coming up about Los Angeles. Oh, it's my favourite subject. Yes. <laughs> okay. I'll have me back. All right, Dom. When's that going to be out? Uh, well, I have to write it first. So. <laughs> Sometime after that. Yes. Okay, thanks, Malcolm. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Okay, so we've heard from a bunch of incredible guests already, but still more to come, including Crofty, David Croft, looking ahead to the French Grand Prix. Embrace's frontman, Danny McNamara, lifts the lid on their upcoming eighth album, How to Be a Person Like Other People. Investigative biographer Tom Boa leafs through his book, Revenge. Meghan, Harry and the War Between the Windsors. Terrific tapper Nick Ortner talks us through the benefits of emotional freedom techniques, EFT, tapping to you and me. And animal whisperer Professor Noel Fitzpatrick shares Tales from season 17 of Channel 4's The Super Vet. So let's get right back to it. Ginger Jack, who is next? Now this weekend, when they say wee wee, it doesn't mean a tinkle, because wee wee means yes yes. And with the French Grand Prix being live and exclusive this weekend on Sky Sports F1, I will be wee weeing all weekend. Now seeing as he's in France, some French was taught. Mesdames et messieurs, il s'appelle David Croft de Croft. Bonjour, Crofty. <laughs> Bonjour to le monde, wee oui, wee. Oui, oui. How about How that? Are you? Uh, very well, and that introduction may well end up being longer than the interview, so we better get on with it. Um, Crofty, yeah. uh, Austria seems like a distant memory now. Yeah, but what a great weekend for Ferrari. Uh, they're back, or they're back, and at least they're back on top of the podium. Um, great race in Austria. Charles Leclerc passed Max Verstappen three times during the course of that race uh, to go on and win it. In fact, in the last couple of races, uh, we've had uh, 14 leads changes. So Silverstone and the Red Bull ring, 14 times the lead has changed in the course of race. That's not bad action for Formula One, is it now? No, it's very good. Uh, but you're, at, you're in France uh, now and over the weekend with Sky F1. Uh, very much the home of the Grand Prix, first ever Grand Prix over 100 years ago now. Yeah, 1906, uh, the French Grand Prix started, won by uh, Ferenc Ziss, a Hungarian, um, in a time of something like 14 days, I think. Uh, it, it was quite a long race um, uh, back in those days. Um, this could be the last French Grand Prix for a while as well, uh, which is quite sad, really, for the home of Grand Prix racing. I don't think there's a huge desire to come back to Paul Ricard. I think it's a race that's going to drop off the calendar next year when... when uh, like Vegas come in and we go back to Qatar, of course. Um, 
if we do come back to France one day, I think we'll go to another venue that isn't Paul Ricard. Nice wants to host a, a street race. Uh, Le Mans would be a, a favourite for the drivers. And someone like Dijon, Sebastian Vettel was saying yesterday, uh, would be a place he'd like to. And then he got into a 1922 to go and have a trip around the track with Johnny Herbert. We'll see that over the weekend oh, as well. Oh, come on. Tell us more about that. Well, basically, it's 100 years since Aston Martin made their Grand Prix debut uh, back in the French Grand Prix, actually, in 1922. So they're running the car, the the, the green pea, uh, from that particular race on this weekend. Seb got into it. Uh, Johnny got as, as near to 100-year-old clothing as he could find uh, and went and had a little interview and a ride around the track with him. It was it was slow by modern-day standards, but it was utterly gorgeous to see. Now, crueler people than you and I would say Johnny Herbert just needs to go to his own wardrobe for such clothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he assumed there is nothing in his wardrobe that is more than 55 years old. I love Johnny so much. Uh, what other films do you have um, around and about to add colour to the weekend on Sky F1? <laughs> we have Rachel Rachel sits down with Mick Schumacher two points finishes in a row now for his first two points finishes uh, in Formula 1 first driver actually since Roman Grosjean get his first points finishes two points finishes uh, in the space of seven days so we've got a good sit down with him and uh, Ted Kravitz talks to Daniel Ricciardo about many things, including uh, Daniel's foray into TV production. Um, and he's suggested a few, uh, he's suggested a few uh, TV series that Daniel might like to, uh, to try and take on board. Uh, the likes of uh, Lights Out and Away We Mow, uh, a new reality TV show based on gardening and cutting grass. Is this because he's worried about Danny's future? I think Ted is just trying to help him out a little bit. Dan- Daniel's um, uh, working on a, on a reality TV series uh, with an F1 theme. Um, Daniel says he's going to stay around for a bit longer in F1, which is good. But Ted just wanted to help him out with a few little suggestions. Uh, Falconry with Valtteri, I think, was the other one, where we take <laughs> Mr Bottas and a Kestrel and we do a little bit of, you know, play with birds or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> Right, what's the latest on uh, the Brits pilots this weekend? Brits pilots this weekend. Uh, George Russell um, has put his top back on and he will be at the track. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if you've seen the the, the photos of him recently. I have, Um, yes. Yes. Honestly, it it gets his his top off more than Sigourney Weaver in in an alien film. Uh, He's looking good, actually. Mercedes have upgrades. Mercedes have, um, I think, an outside chance of winning this weekend if that new nose and floor combo works well for them. Lando Norris is just uh, hoping for a good haul of points. They've got a battle with Alpine for fourth. And Lewis Hamilton uh, makes his 300 free start this weekend, wow. uh, which is an amazing That's milestone. Cool, isn't it? The sixth driver in history to do that. The downside, of course, is, though, that no driver's reached 300 and gone beyond it and won a race going beyond 300. Right, OK, because Vassas is here. Um, uh, you're there, of course, and I'm here. So he's the sixth driver to do it. So let's go for the other five. Um, yeah. Rubens Barrichello. Correct. Um, uh, Michael Schumacher. Correct. OK. Um, uh, the Flying Finn. Um, Mika Hakkinen. Mika Hakkinen. No. Okay. The, the other, the other thing. Yeah, Kimi Raikkonen. Correct. Okay, that's uh, one that's still racing. One that's still racing. Oh, something that's still Sebastian racing. Vettel. No, no, I am uh, nope. Alonso. Correct. Um, and we, so we're only missing one, are we? Yes, and he's been a guest on your show recently. Oh, Jensen Button. Correct. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> I'm very pleased with myself yeah. there. Uh, more than usual, well which takes some doing, let me tell you. Um, that's not bad at all. <laughs> any that... other, any other news, Crofty, for for the forthcoming weekend? Any other news for the forthcoming weekend? Uh, no, it's hot. Track limits are going to be an issue. Um, 
Uh, we're in France. Well, let's it's go. Early. Well, we're not going to talk to you about Budapest, so let's quickly jump forward a week as well. Oh, right. Are you off on holiday then? Only for four weeks, that's all. <laughs> Only for four weeks. Oh, I'm not jealous at all. Um, right, Budapest. If Lewis Hamilton doesn't win this weekend, Budapest will be his best chance this season to get a race victory in, purely and simply because that man cannot stop winning around the Hungaro ring, which actually might be a, a hugely wonderful race this week, uh, this year in hot temperatures um, with cars that can follow more closely. And, and I'll, I'll give you a, a little stat that I was going to trot out on Sunday, but I'll give you a sneak preview of this nice, one. Nice, thank you. Um, overtaking stats for this year, and we're now halfway through the season, uh, we go to round 12 of 22 this weekend. Overtaking is up on last year. There's only two races where uh, overtaking has been down. One was Spain, where there was only one less overtake there. And one was Imola, which was a dry race this year and a wet race last year. You get more overtaking in the wet races. But the stats are good for the new regulations in Formula One, which is why more and more people are coming to Sky one and enjoying the action because there's plenty of lead changes, plenty of overtaking and lots of excitement. How's that sound? Uh, Crofty, you're awesome. I'll talk to you on the other side. Thanks so much. Have a great holiday. Cheers, Enjoy. Pal. Goodbye. All right. That was Crofty. Sky Sports F1, Sky F1, live on the air with first practice over at the French Grand Prix for the last time at Paul Ricard, maybe ever. So check it out. The home of the Grand Prix from 1906. That's what's called the Grand Prix. That's why it's French because that's where it started. Sky Sports F1, half past 12. Today, it all kicks off there. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Saving puppy paws to kitty claws. This next guest truly is the great British superhero, even if he doesn't wear a cape. The brand new series of the super vet Noel Fitzpatrick continues on Thursdays at 8pm on Channel 4. Helping our furry friends feel ecstatic. Please raise the wolf. For Noel Fitzpatrick! Yay! Supervet is in the house! Good morning, everybody. Season 17 of the Supervet. Uh, wow, well done. Congratulations. That is mega. Uh, thanks very much. I was just talking to Vast just now, and uh, he said it's like when, you, when you're driving a car for a long time and you get used to it, and then someone says, Oh, this is a great car. Uh, well, yeah, we're in episode 112. Yeah, we all need to be a bit more Mick Jagger. Yeah, you know, you know what Mick does. I learned the other day before his his uh, Hyde Park thing because I was talking to the guys in the cars. If you want to find out what actually happens, you talk to the guys back at the back. So I was talking to one of the guys. I said, "How does Mick warm up?" And he goes, uh, "Oh, he gets in an articulated truck and he runs up and down for like twenty minutes before the show. They have an actual Arctic for Mick to run up and down in." <laughs> I, on the other hand, hobbled down the <laughs> stairs <laughs> from my bed <laughs> and at about eight thirty, I go, "Hello, pretzel kitten. Hello, George." Uh, Labradoodle, and now I'm in work. Yeah. So, because no, you no. famously live basically at the practice, don't you? Yeah, it was funny. This morning I came down to Pretzel, who's the cutest kitten you could ever imagine in your in your life, and it's so amazing. The whole community has come together and they've done bake sales and all kinds of stuff because Pretzel was born with bent back legs, dragging his back legs, uh, her back legs along. She's the sweetest little ball of fluff. And this morning, when I was going to bed, I got to bed about half one, and uh, I went, hello, pretzel. And she comes up and she nuzzles you. And it's, it never gets tired, you know, that little nuzzle. And the smell. Nose. Oh, it smells like warm 
a dove velvet. Yeah. That's what it smells like. Yeah. And and pretzel is like, hello, no, thanks for saving my legs. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because I'm not going to see Sparkle for like four weeks now. Um, and I just gave her a good sniff this morning because it's the other way around with owners and their dogs. If you really love your dog, you, you're the one that does the sniffing. And I just closed my eyes and I gave her a big sniff and became quite tearful, you know, because yes. it's about the smell, isn't it? It's, it's, that's the connection for me and dogs, you know. Oh, Although, yeah. having said that, Vassos, you came up with a great dog fact yesterday about the wagging of the tail. Yeah, so if your dog likes you and is pleased to see you, apparently the tail starts wagging to the right... And if the if the tail wags to the left, then the, the tail is wagging, but they're not quite so pleased to see you. Oh, I'm, yeah. in, uh, I'm in big trouble then. <laughs> <laughs> the tail is wagging, but there's no one home. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, James Martin says, you know, he's a pal of both of ours, and in fact, yeah. all of ours that work on the show. One of my best mates. And James um, says it's about ITV, they've said to him, literally, they've said to him, and he wasn't being flashy. He was just, I said, how long is the deal with ITV for? They said, literally, as, as long as I want to do it. And it seems to me it might be the same for you and Channel 4. Is that how it feels? Is that what the relationship's Dear like? Dear Channel 4, uh, good morning. And this is <laughs> Professor Noel Fitzpatrick writing your letter. I have no idea what your plans are, but this is a direct instruction from Christopher Evans. Uh, we're on forever. Forever until the end of time. I have no idea, mate. But 17 series in, it's, it's still as, as strong, if not stronger than ever. Well, you know, it, it's it's funny because Vas again reminded me. It, it's it's as fresh as ever for me. It's actually a bit of a reignition for me. We're ju- we just filmed two more series as of yesterday. Oh right, so we're up to nineteen, definitely. Anyhow, for sure, we felt we. The rig comes down today. In fact, right. while I'm here, the, the the cameras go up and then they come down after right. a period of months. And uh, we did we did an off last night till whatever time. Uh, on a cat uh, called Freddy and we did something that I'd never done before on a cat and I have two main cones and Freddy was a main cone I was almost tearful in the middle of the op and I think to myself man if I feel like this what what does it feel like to be and, and I'll tell you what it is when you're in the middle of life and death when you're in the middle of like okay you're holding the little nerves and if you, you're not going to slip but if, if, you, if you do the wrong thing you're in the middle of life and death it's kind of a bit of love, hope and redemption for a world that badly needs it. You know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on outside. But when you're in there, that's truth. It's the actual essence of why it's important to be human at all. And I, as soon as I push the doors of theatre open, no matter how tired I am, like I could be in there for seven hours, yeah. eight hours. Yeah. It feels alive. It feels like, OK, mate, this is where you're supposed to be. Yeah. And you're in harmony with nature. And hopefully people watching this will get a little connection with why we're human at all. No, thank you. No, thank you for having me yep, on the absolutely. show. And we'll see you at conference. It's apparently coming. Yeah, I coming am up flying north. up very quickly for tonight. Cool. Can't wait to see you. To introduce Ronan Keating. Do it. Do it, my friend. Uh, right. Um, so, uh, where's Noel's thing? NoelFitzpatrick.com. At NoelFitzpatrick.com. Sorry, at NoelFitzpatrickLive.com for tickets. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. From Yorkshire, a check. Cool hairdo, a check. An iconic British voice, a double check. This man was born to be a legend. And here with his new single, We Are It, which is from his band's next album. 
album, How to Be a Person Like Other People. Oh, he's in a band with his brother, so he knows a thing about no drama. So please embrace our next guest. It's Danny McNamara! Good morning, Danny! <laughs> That's quite an introduction. It is quite an introduction, <laughs> and we only save it for the best. And you are absolute rock royalty. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, 25 years uh, you've been strumming, you've been playing, you've been singing, you've been hollering, people have been following you. Uh, how's it been? How did it all start for people who don't know? Let's have that origin story. Come on. Uh, man, uh, my brother started uh, the band in uh, Shed at the Bottom of the Garden. And so, like a heavy metal band called Gross Misconduct, who were named after uh, something that the drummer did, which wasn't sexual. It was like, uh, you know, you don't need to worry There's about There's other that. misconduct. It was, available. It was dodgy, yeah. <laughs> other variations of misconduct available. And uh, I used to go down, make them cups of tea, and boss everyone about. And everyone else got sick of being bossed around and left. So it was just me and our Rick. So, and, uh, how big was the shed? Uh, about a quarter the size of your studio. Right. And you could hear the music from Egg the boxes house. On the walls and yeah oh so you did whinging. the whole thing did you oh yeah 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 all yeah. right how... yeah we put egg boxes on the walls before we had like microphones and stuff <laughs> i just used to sing into a broom handle and pretend to be bono just because it looked good <laughs> by the way the whole egg egg box i suppose the xbox see how life has moved on doesn't it the old the old, the old uh, soundproof is so cool so cool yeah yeah so 25 years on um, and yeah, 25 years um, what was the tipping point we did the first first uh, signing all you good good people we did it as a demo and we sent it out uh, sent it down to a load of companies. I, I went through Music Week and and found like sort of twenty five management companies, and they all rang me back. And a load of record companies rang me back. Um, and that was before mobile phones, almost. You know, so it was like my mum and dad's phone was like ringing off the hook with all these companies wanting to speak to us. So it came down and stayed in like a twenty quid a night hotel in in London, and and went on the tube to all these meetings. And then that was it. Yeah, everyone was really buzzing about it. It was uh, yeah, it really sort of took off from so there. So to get that many um, callbacks, almost a hundred percent of the people that you contacted. Well, it was more. Yeah. So the quality <laughs> of the demo. I mean, was that? It was what... good. We ended up releasing it on Fierce Panda. So. Yeah, it, it, that was the version that we that we put out. But that out. is still extraordinary to get that that sort of that sort of breakthrough, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I've never heard uh, yeah. about that before. I've never heard anything like that. Before, it it was honest. all about that song. Um, we we spent uh, ages on it. It took us like sort of three years to get the verse before because it used to have a rap. Right. The verse used to be a rap, uh, which I'm not going to do. Oh, go on. No, no, no. <laughs> Come on. Go on. It's been long. In... By the way, you are tempted, I could tell. That, was, that wasn't a solid no, was it, man? Actually, <laughs> it, was a, it was a please ask me. No, no, yeah. no. Oh, I, I don't no, no, sing. No, no. Begging you no, no. shall receive. No, no, on bended knee, Evans. It's time. Uh, it was it was about, like, World War Three and stuff like that. It was like, WWIII, I need more time to steal. Forgotten memories on my mind. And... I've forgotten to feel, blah, 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 blah. It, was, it wasn't very good, it was rubbish. Well, it was enough for everybody to, to rave about it, yeah. but that is quite incredible. It wasn't up there with these 17. But what do you know? think, who, who were around at the time, <laughs> yeah. doing not dissimilar, you know, stay another day, and yeah, yeah. all that good juice um, from, oh, um, Mortimer, Tony Mortimer. Yeah, yeah. Was here, yeah. And... Um, and so, so what do you think appealed to, to the people? Because, you know, these the ears of the A&R guys at record companies... Well, you we know. used to have uh, Scott Peering was our plugger back right, then. Right, so that would know. help, wouldn't it? He, he was he was an amazing. He's the guy who put who had Pulp tattooed into the back of his head because he loved their album so much. And just... Yeah. He, Dedication uh, and commitment. Yeah, when he heard uh, Come Back to What You Know, he literally jumped up on the table and was like, that's it, that's the one! It's funny, isn't it? So that's it was, cool. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, Scott's company is called Appearing. Yeah. Is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, fantastic. Now, you're back here 25 years on. Uh, how's it changed for you? How does it feel now? Um, no more demos required, at least not to get deals. <laughs> I mean, demos required for an yeah. album, which is on the more than on the horizon. It's box fresh and ready to yeah, go. Yeah, it's coming out in a month, yeah. It's 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 just been absolutely amazing. Like, it never gets old. I use horrors like... A, was it Carfest yep. or something like last year or the year yeah, before? Yeah, yeah. And it's just that feeling when the crowd really go for it. Yeah. And then you play better because the crowd are going for it. And then they go for it more because you're playing better. Yeah. And it just spirals up and up and up and up. And it never gets old. It's been like, I just feel like I've, you know, been, it's the best job in the world. Everyone will tell you that. So where is it taking you? Um, what have you experienced? Oh, man. <laughs> I was thinking about this in the car on the way down. I don't, I, like, uh, quite a lot. Let's just say I should write a book. <laughs> <laughs> I've been all over the world, like five times over, like everywhere. Like America, what have been the Thailand. biggest pinch me moment? Um, in Thailand, uh, we went to number one there, and it was like number one for six weeks. And so we went out there, and there was just like screaming fans at the airport and stuff. What, and, at the airport, yeah. that's a big deal, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and we got a government official to sort of bring us through the hotel, uh, through through the airport and stuff. And one 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 of the funniest bits was we were doing an in-store in the top top floor of this building in a, in a record shop and we got in the lift afterwards and pressed down and the and hands must have gotten on every single floor and pressed every floor number <laughs> so, so we got at, like at, at floor 17 the doors open and there's thousands of hands going like ah! And then at floor 16, the doors open and the same bunch of fans have run round and go, ah! get us all the way to the bottom. And then they're following us around and you have to check into hotels under like assumed names and stuff so they don't know where you are. And yeah, it was just amazing. Okay, embrace.co.uk for various um, dates. And we're talking about August and September and Edinburgh, Newcastle, Nottingham, Sheffield, Cardiff, Birmingham, London, Brixton, uh, Manchester, Norwich and uh, Aberdeen as well. Danny... Fantastic. I appreciate you. I honor you. I love your music. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. From politicians to royalty, entertainment moguls to historic moments, this man has got the inside scoop on them all. So sit back, Sherlock Holmes. This guest is the detective of the hour. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Tom Bowen. Morning, Tom. Morning, morning. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> Couldn't be better. <laughs> you can definitely tell he's had the most sleep out of all of us. Um, so, Tom, good morning. Welcome to the show. I just asked you how the weekend's been and how are things, and you said... Can't complain. Uh, we suggest it's been pretty busy for you in, uh, in all the right ways. Well, all the right ways. Had a great serialization in the Times and the Sun and the Sunday Times, and the book is now number one on Amazon. And that's in pre-sales, is that and right? That's in pre-sales, and uh, no author can complain about that. What about what's your what's been your biggest book to date? Well, that's interesting. What the biggest one? Uh, one of the biggest was about Richard Branson. <laughs> he didn't like that book. Uh, I did well with Simon Cowell, eight weeks number one. Yeah. Uh, Robert Maxwell, uh-huh. Bernie Eccleston did very well. Prince Charles is a number one. They're all number ones. But this is going to be even bigger. And and the thing about you, you choose subjects that are global. Therefore, you automatically have a global market. Is that is that? No, I choose people who don't want to be written about on right. the whole and uh, whose lives uh, are shrouded in mystery, uh, and they've climbed the greasy pole, they want to be famous, they want to be influential, they want to be powerful, and uh, they want to hide their secrets, and I just love digging away to find out what they don't want us to know. Delving and digging. And uh, Robert Maxwell, he, he wrote two books about Robert Maxwell, is that right? Yeah. 
Okay. And what what was the arc between the two? What was well, the one was before he died, yeah. and he sued me endlessly on that one, and right. he said he'd be a crook. And the next one was about the last year of his life, which was based on all his archives and showed how the frauds and all the rest in his rather seedy life at the end. But it was a, that is the basis of quite a few documentaries now because of the Gillet Maxwell right. story. And um, you also wrote about a subject, um, the squeeze, as opposed to a, a person. <laughs> Tell us about the squeeze. Well, the squeeze isn't about a seductive woman, actually. It's about oil. And it was the history of how it got to the BP blew up in the Gulf of Mexico and how their story... It was written before the blowout. But it's a fascinating story, oil, and it was a great book. It was one of those really uh, fascinating stories of intelligent people who got it wrong. What, but back into 1987, what was the paperclip conspiracy? Paperclip conspiracy was the story which exposed how Britain and America had taken German scientists at the end of the war and brought them to Britain and to America, most of all, to build the Apollo rocket scheme, which went to the uh, took man to the moon. And that was all done by very incriminated Nazi war criminals. And they all got American citizenship, and some of them were sent back to Germany afterwards because they'd done some terrible things under Hitler. And the Red Web? Red Web was a story about Britain sending uh, spies into Eastern Europe at the end of the Second World War, uh, right into the mid-50s, and how the whole thing was run by the KGB. They completely penetrated MI6 and British intelligence. And I did that with the help of the KGB in Russia. I spent two and a half years there. Oh, tell us about that. Well, That's it was experience. a fascinating time, because not that book really infuriated MI6 made, and the CIA made them look such idiots. And the story had never been told. But through that, I then was the first person to interview George Blake, who was a great Russian spy and MI6 officer, and a great story. And I spent three months with him in Moscow. And then after that, I did uh, spent time in Moscow doing a story about a man called Oleg Penkovsky, uh, that was made into a film called The Courier recently. And then I did a film about um, um, the illegals. I don't know if you ever saw the series The Americans. It was a great America series about how Russia would send people who looked like Americans, but really KGB officers, to live in America. And I got into the KGB illegals operation. And then it was the end of uh, Glasnost, and I had to leave Russia because they weren't cooperating anymore. Oh, my goodness. But it was a fascinating period. It sounds completely fascinating. Did you ever meet John le Carré? Of course, he was my neighbour and a great friend. Really? He was the most wonderful man. So, oh, absolutely. Are you up in Hampstead-ish? Oh, absolutely. And not only in Hampstead, but we, we met very often. And there was no book I wrote without talking to him about it. The last time I book I wrote and sat with uh, David Cornwall, as he is, uh, was about Boris. For two hours, he just lectured me. Didn't lecture, just told me about <laughs> Boris. And well, I would well, take well, notes. Well, because well, he, he knew him. him. Oh, because he hated him. He hated him. Right, of okay. course he knew him. Okay. And told me the story about his meetings with Boris. But, you know, he understood the sort of the skullduggery of Etonians. Right. Uh, and he hated Etonians. He talked there for a bit. But John Le Carre, David Cornwall, was one of those miles. And in fact, there's never a day, or I should really a week, I don't reread a Le Carre book. Right. Because if you want to, want to understand mankind... You read Le Carre. It's a wonderful story. They're stories. brilliant books, aren't they? they well, now fly. should talk about my book, Chris. No, I know. I'll we'll do the same. <laughs> don't worry. It's not a five-minute interview. Don't worry. Um, but I saw him walking his dog just not just before he died, but yeah. about a year before he died. And I couldn't believe it. I was I was going, I was running across Hampstead Heath um, down towards that beautiful cafe near the bandstand, and I saw him walking his dog, and I thought, oh, my goodness me, that's the great. Yes, man. Yeah, yeah. No, he, and he was a great man. You know, he was the most generous 
sensitive, uh, interesting person. Every word he said, one hung on to because it was pure gem and pure, pure gold. And um, where'd you go from here? Do you have a work of fiction? You know, uh, that's 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 a scratch you you want to itch at some point. No, but Chris Petty, you know, some of my worst enemies, they say, meet Tom Bauer, the greatest novelist in Britain. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but of course it takes a bit of... Because you've got to hook the reader in, regardless of what you're writing about, haven't you? <laughs> you've got to have st- style. You've got to have a story and art <laughs> yeah, exactly. and things like that. No, there's no novel. Right. There, no, you can't beat real life. You can't beat the real story. I mean, that's the excitement of writing these sort of books, that in the end, nothing beats the truth, the real facts. And how does this week pan out for you? Because it's, you know, it's a big book, it's a global... You know, the whole world's going to talk about it, is talking about it already. Uh, is your, are you nearly done, as far as this is concerned? No, but, you know, appearing on your show, Chris, is Yay! the high point. <laughs> it can only go downhill. Don't even say that, even if it's not true. <laughs> it can only go downhill from here. Well, you know, yeah, only because we're on the top floor. That's the only reason. Uh, Tom, yeah. great to meet you. Really, thanks. really great to meet you. And uh, thanks for that chat about John le Carré, because I love John le Carré. And uh, can't believe you had the pleasure to know the great man. That's awesome, isn't it? Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, You're very welcome. Britain's top investigative author, his brand new book, Tombo's Revenge, is out on Thursday, and you can pre-order it now. Apparently it's doing all right. Can't complain. <laughs> <laughs> the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. I must have got the wrong memo as I came in today with my tap shoes, some leg warmers and the soundtrack to Anything Goes. Look, I am embarrassed, but this next guest will get rid of these workplace anxieties with his tip-top tapping techniques. So get your fingertips ready. No need for a partner. Please welcome the Zen Master. It's Nick Gun- <laughs> morning, Nick. Good morning. Well, can I keep that intro for all my live shows? That's fabulous. Yeah, we can actually have um, Jack washed and uh, DHL'd over to you, if you like. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be great. Thank you. Uh, Nick, for people who have no idea what we're talking about, can you frame the wonder of tapping, please? Yeah, absolutely. Tapping, uh, another name for it is EFT, Emotional Freedom Technique. We call it tapping because we are literally physically tapping on endpoints of meridians of our body. And what the latest research shows is that when we tap on these places in our body, while we're stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, we send a calming signal to the amygdala in the brain, the fight or flight part of us, the part that's stressed, the part that's hurried, the part that's spilling their coffee or whatever else you spilled all over the place there earlier. <laughs> that it, it sends a calming signal there, helps to rewire the brain and find peace within. Yeah, it was water, but it was probably a consequence of too much coffee before the water (laughs) kicked in. So this is um, the benefits of this, the effects of this, um, and the positive consequences of this are uh, a combination of ancient Chinese medicine slash wisdom and modern science to do with psychology. Would that be right? Yeah, that is is beautifully said. We're combining the best of both worlds. We're you know, we're going a little bit beyond talk therapy, which is wonderful. And when we talk about our feelings and we express what's going on in our lives, we can certainly create change. A lot of people find that they get stuck. So they'll say like, you know, I've been talking about this issue for a decade and it doesn't seem to get better. I've been dealing with a fear of flying. I've been dealing with this anxiety. I've been dealing with this thing that I can't seem to break through. And what the tapping does beautifully is it brings this body that we have in, right? We tend to forget that It's not just our mind up here, that it's our whole body. So when we bring the body in and when we combine it with the tapping, with the mind, we send that calming signal. We sort of break that pattern 
of what's happening in our brains. And do you think that's to do with the fact that over, you know, over the centuries and the millennia, we've just become less phys physical. So our bodies have been dealt out of the, of the process. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly, certainly in the last, you know, say 40, 50 years, I mean, it's all focused on the mind, right? It's like, this is, these are the thoughts I think, but you know, when, when you talk to people and you say, well, where are you feeling the anxiety? What do they often say? Oh, I feel it in my stomach. Oh, I have all this tightness in my chest. My throat is tight. So, I mean, we all clearly know that there's emotional issues associated with our bodies. We know, you know, if you ask any traditional medical doctor, does stress play a role in illness and disease? They'll all say yes. They don't know what to do about it usually, but they'll say, yeah, if you're stressed, if you're overwhelmed, if you're overworked, that's going to play a role. It's going to beat down your body and it's going to open the door for other things to happen. So we're really looking to combine these things here and to serve as a complementary technique. It's one of the things that I love about tapping. It's not like, well, you do tapping, you don't go to the doctor, right? Or you do tapping and you don't do this. No, you bring it in. And this is why doctors and psychologists and psychiatrists from around the world bring this tool in because it's so accessible. And the other thing that you'll find, and I know when we tap together, people will find it's that it's so quick. You know, there's so much of this work that we do out there. If you're exploring, say meditation, which I love, right? But if you're anxious, if you're overwhelmed, if you're having a rush day, if your mind won't stop moving, and I say, hey, why don't you sit down and close your eyes for 10 minutes? Why don't you meditate? It's really hard to do. Because this is such an active process, a lot of people have more success with it because we're actively, we're moving our bodies, we're tapping on these endpoints of meridians, we're thinking about things, and then we're moving through them. That's the other side of things that I think is such a breakthrough in tapping is that we really acknowledge how we feel as opposed to being like, you know what, we should just be positive. Like, don't worry about all the negative stuff that's happening in your life. Just think positive thoughts and everything is going to be fine. We say, no, this is the anger I feel right now. I acknowledge this anger. I'm pissed off about what happened. And I'm going to do that with the tapping process. So instead of just being angry, just being anxious and not moving through it, we do that while tapping in order to let go of those emotions. And the study groups that you can cite are, are so sort of instructive and informative. So, so groups that have been asked to tap whilst waiting in doctor's surgeries, as opposed to reading newspapers, um, uh, and their anxiety levels, uh, the cortisol levels, have been seen to go up, not down, whilst they're just waiting, whereas the tappers, their cortisol levels went down dramatically. Exactly. So in the last decade, you know, research is really tough in any of these fields because as as you know, it costs a lot of money to conduct research. And, you know, we don't have billions of dollars available. But in the past decade, there's been more funding, there's been more groups looking at it, over 300 studies now. And that one that you referenced, what I love about that study is that they did a cortisol measurement pre and post. So cortisol is really easy to measure in the body, you spit in a tube, and you can see the cortisol. So three groups, they all spit in tubes, one sat in the waiting room for an hour waiting, one had psychoeducation. So they learned about stress and anxiety and you know the importance of reducing stress. And the third group did tapping. The people waiting, their stress went up. They were probably reading stressful magazines. They were tired of waiting. They were bored. The psychoeducation group, their stress went down. But the tapping group, their stress went down double what the other group did. So showing, hey, this is a physical marker. This isn't something that we're making up. This isn't placebo. You can see here in the cortisol, in the saliva, that cortisol dropped 
dramatically. Nick, we got to go away over time. I'm under pressure now from my bosses because we're missing the ads. <laughs> Nick, I love you so much. I hope to meet you one day, but I feel like um, I feel like we just got to know each other a, a bit better. So thank you so much for your time and thank you for getting up so early. Um, what are you going to do now? Go back to bed or are you going to get back to sleep? Or not? You know, I've, I've had a lot of coffee, so we'll see what happens. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.